Good morning. Happy New Year to everyone. I was thinking about the whole like New Year thing. Lee and I were having that conversation in the car last night. Um, we were driving back from having dinner, and the we don't do resolutions. That's just kind of not our thing. We, we we don't, but we do look at like goals and setting goals for ourselves, setting goals as a family and what we're doing. And one of the goals we were talked about is it's it's been a bit since she and I together have done a through the Bible in a year read. Uh, I would recommend that as a goal for anyone. And if they're thinking, wow, that seems a lot. Okay, I get that. Look at something to just be in the Word, whether it's reading a chapter of the of the Proverbs every day for for. Um, for that time period, there's 31 Proverbs. Most months have 31 days. It's kind of nice. You can just read through a chapter a day, kind of stay there, read through the Psalms, uh, something like that. Just kind of set yourself some goals. I, a, a dear friend of mine from college posted out his big goals. He's not into New Year's resolutions either, but his big goals this coming year for 2023 were to hate sin more and love the Lord more. I thought, man, wow, way to convict me over Facebook, Billy. Um, but anyway, that's, that should be a goal for all of us. And, um, one of the ways to start out hating sin more and loving the Lord more is to be in his word. And we are in the word of the Lord today. We're going to be in the book of Zephaniah. Uh, we're going to be majoring on the minors, taking a look at some of the minor prophets of the final four minor, minor prophets as, as they're in, uh, in scripture. We'll see Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and we'll preach through those four in that order. Uh, if you're not sure where to get to the minor prophets in your own Bible, go to Matthew and start flipping backwards. You'll, you'll get to those guys. So we're going to be in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 today. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up. If not, the words will be on the screen and you can read along with me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amri, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep everything away. From the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear to Mil by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. I will punish the officials and the king's sons, all who array themselves in foreign attire. And I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At the time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent 
Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Those they, though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud here. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind and they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor gold shall be able to deliver them. On the day of the wrath of the Lord and the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make all the inhabitants of the earth. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had to gather and to, to worship you through the hearing and through the response of your word. I pray, Lord, that as we enter into this time where we study through some of the minor prophets that you, you speak to our hearts, that there's a, there's a common theme here of repentance and turning to you. Father, I pray that we would heed that, that we would repent and we would turn to you, and that we would seek you more and more. Father, I pray that as we, we enter into this time, that, that as I, I bring this message, that you would put me aside and you let these words be of you, that you let this message be the words you have given me for your people and for your glory. Father, let us bless you. Let us honor you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here we are. Chris and I are embarking on an adventure through some of the minor prophets. Uh, we've preached a few of the prophets before, and we've taught some of the prophets. Uh, we're kind of going back and looking at some of the things we've done, but we've not really kind of jumped into the minor prophets here, and we were kind of excited to do that. Um, now, the word minor here is misleading when talking about these minor prophets. Um, doesn't mean that these minor prophets are, are men of less biblical authority than the major prophets. Um, the word that Yahweh has given them is no less important than the word he's given to Isaiah or Daniel or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. Uh, it's just that it's typically shorter. Right? The minor prophets are called minor because their books are smaller and they're a little more succinct. Um, and there tends to be less narrative about the, the, their individual prophets' lives in these books. Overall, there are 12 what we would consider minor prophets. Four major prophets are Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. The four, 12 minor prophets are, are a bigger group. Uh, though we're going to look at the last four of those, and that's going to be Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Zephaniah, as we're writing and looking at this, was written just before the fall of the kingdom of Judah and the exile. So he's, he's going to be kind of contemporary in there to um, a little bit between maybe Isaiah and Daniel as they're getting ready for the exile and that's being proclaimed. Um, as we go into it a little further, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they're all written after the Jews have started to return from that exile. And we talked about the exile when we talked about Ezra and Nehemiah. And so we have a good understanding of that, hopefully. Zephaniah here, who is a prophet, is the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. Just to give you a little more background on him, 
Um, Hezekiah was a king who was known for trying to bring about some biblical reforms uh, back into Israel, specifically Judah. If you know anything about Hezekiah's story, he became ill, uh, ill to the point of death. And he, he came before God and he asked God to give him more time to live. And he asked Isaiah to petition to God for that. And God did give him 15 more years of life. Okay, so Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of Josiah, who was also a descendant of Hezekiah. Uh, and these two kings, Hezekiah and Josiah, were relatively good kings in, in, in Judah's history. Um, the guys in between them were completely apostate and wicked. Um, God actually refers to Manasseh, the king that came after Hezekiah, as an apostate. The word of the Lord describes him that way. That's bad. Right? <laughs> when, when you're described by God as apostate and doing nothing but wicked, that's a rough way to go. But that's how that one was. And Ammon was not any better, really, than Manasseh. And there were just a lot of these wicked kings in this time period. Josiah, as he's king in Judah is working diligently to restore worship to Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. He is really looking to do that. He's working diligently in doing that. And so at the beginning of this oracle right, that, that, that God has given to Zephaniah, um, he talks about complete and utter destruction. God will destroy the earth. And the circle of destruction narrows as God's describing this destruction. It becomes more specific too. First, it's all living things. Then it's man, beasts, birds, and fish, right? Like, it's all these things. And then it just becomes mankind. And then more specifically, it's the people of Judah. And then finally, it's the people who inhabit Jerusalem. In God's holiness and in God's righteousness and in God's righteous judgment, he's zealously seeking to destroy evil. And he's zealously destroying evil, not just seeking to do it. He's actively doing it in this. He's sweeping away the lives of all who do not seek after him. And, and when he's listing all of this out, that listing of the man and the beast and the birds and the fish highlights the total destruction that God will bring. He is God. He is the creator of the universe, and he will destroy everything due to humankind's sin. And Judah gets specifically mentioned here. This is the time of the divided kingdom, right? Remember, like, soon after Solomon uh, in, in Israel's history, there was the kingdom, a group of the tribes that went to the northern kingdom, we called that Israel, then the southern kingdom we called Judah. And this is that divided kingdom time, Judah being that southern kingdom. And at that time, God was giving the word to Zephaniah, the northern kingdom, Israel, had already been taken away into exile by the Assyrians. Judah was alone, and they were kind of left out there to serve as God's people. And here's Josiah working hard to try to get everybody back. And he was a righteous king, and he sought to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he sought to restore temple worship and do the right thing, but it was not enough. It simply was not enough to avert God's plan for the judgment and God's plan for destruction. The officials and the people of Judah were persisting in evil. This is not a 
oh, they did one bad thing situation. It was a persistence in evil. And Jerusalem represented that whole nation and their persistence in evil. And, and Zephaniah specifically mentions two false gods that the people were worshiping. He mentions Baal and he mentions Milcom. Baal is a Canaanite god, and, and we've read a lot in the Old Testament. You read through the Old Testament frequently. Baal gets mentioned a lot. And Baal is somebody that the Israelites tended to want to wander towards. Um, and, and so they would do that. Milcom was an Ammonite god. Again, another people group that God said, don't associate with them. Don't associate with their gods. But he was somebody that the people had also turned to. False gods. Idols. But then there's some references to some unnamed gods bowing down on the roofs to the hosts of heaven. This is a, rest, or, uh, a reference to the astral gods or star gods or the various groups of people that surrounded Judah. This is, a, this is actually a, a faith that still kind of resonates and still exists today. Zoroastrianism, if you've ever heard of that, right? that's where your horoscopes come from. This is, this is where this originated. These were people who worshipped these stars and these constellations, and they, and they look towards that. And if we look at the end of verse 5, it says, Those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom. Well, what the people had done was not just abandon God, but then pervert their faith by bringing in these outside false gods, adding the practices of these false gods to their practice of worshiping Yahweh. This, this adding of other faiths to their first faith, to the true faith, to the worship of Yahweh, the one true God, it really is, though, in a complete abandonment of the faith. We start adding things in that are anti-biblical or, or things that are, that are not what God has called us to do, to worship Him. It is an abandonment of worshiping him. The Lord sees them as having turned their back on him completely. They no longer seek him, nor they inquire of him. They are apostate, and they have left God for something false. Church, be wary of this. Adding to your faith something that is not biblical is equivalent to turning from your faith. Hear that again. Adding something to your faith that is not biblical is equivalent to turning from your faith. Be wary of this. God has warned the people of what's coming. He's told them about this. Numerous, numerous, numerous warnings. Just because God doesn't do it immediately when he gives the warning doesn't mean God's not going to do it. It means he's being patient with the people, wishing them to repent, desirous of that, knowing that even if it's not coming, but he's giving the patience for it. He gives them that warning, and he gets specific in why. He lists out the wicked deeds of the people. And we see all that they have done. Worshipping Baal, worshipping Milcom, worshipping these Zoroastrian gods, these star gods, these constellations. All of these things. He's given them reasons why. And they are told to be silent. We get to verse 7. 
be silent before the Lord God. Silence shows respect. Silence here shows reverence. The day of the Lord is coming. And on this great day, God will judge his enemies and God will bless his followers. And notice something here. There's no in-between. There's no gray. There's followers and there's enemies. You're either an enemy of God or you're a follower of God. And those who may swear by the name of the Lord may not necessarily be followers. Some of the Some of those followers of God, we see in verse 5, were also followers of idols. And they are not followers who will be blessed. They are deemed enemies who will be judged and destroyed. For that day of judgment, the Lord prepares a sacrifice and consecrates His guests. This is really different than what the Jews at the time would have been accustomed to. So something to think about here. This is, this is a little deep. Normally a sacrifice was something you had and you dedicated it to God. It was not something prepared by God and dedicated to God. This is where we see these Old Testament prophecies being twofold prophecies. Right? There's, there's a prophecy for the near and there's a prophecy for a time to come. And in the near, the people themselves will be sacrificed in the exile to save the remnant, to save those whom, whom have been truly following God. But in the time to come, this is a messianic proclamation. Here, as Zephaniah proclaims the coming of the day of the Lord, and he's, as he's doing this, remember these oracles, these are the words of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. And this is what Zephaniah has given us. This is God himself speaking and Zephaniah recording it for us. As Zephaniah proclaims the coming of the day of the Lord, it's meant to bring that initial hearers to repentance. It's meant to bring those Israelites, those folks in Judah, to repent and to return to a holy and just God. And those of us today who hear it, it should remind us to turn to Jesus. And it should remind us of his great day of coming and his great day of return. The day of the Lord should be a day of joy for those who have died to themselves and have found themselves alive in Christ. A day of joy for those of us who know Christ. We see our Lord coming in full and in fulfillment of all of his prophecies. The judgment that comes, though, comes to all, right? The officials, it comes to the civic leaders, it comes to the influencers. Uh, Everyone will be judged for leading the people astray. Those who dabbled in the practices of other faiths, those who combined those dabblings with with their walk with Yahweh and in their Yahweh worship will also be judged. All of these that have done these things, all of them have brought deceit They brought shame. They brought fraud into the house of the Lord. And they've done it through false and pagan worship. Now just just a quick recap of what's what's happening. The people were offering sacrifices to Baal and Milcom. They were adding worship practices from the Philistines and Zoroastrians 
in their daily lives, and they were claiming to worship Yahweh all the same. There's, there's a, a $3 seminary term called synchronism or syncretinism. I can never pronounce it quite right. But it's where you do just that. You take outside false influences, outside false ways of worship, outside practices that are beyond the Bible, and you combine them with what is described as biblical worship. And there's no room for that. God is seeing all of this, and he says, no, this will not stand. And the same is still true today. Taking bits and pieces of false faiths or, or worldly philosophies and adding them to your walk with Christ will not stand. This is a call for the people to repent and turn back to the God of their salvation. And it is the same call for Christians today to check what's going on in your own walk. Check what's going on in your own life. And we see God being very thorough in this destruction in the day of judgment. In verses 10 and 11, you see him going neighborhood by neighborhood through Jerusalem, proclaiming his judgment and his punishment. And it reminds me of the story back in in Joshua when um, Achan stole things from the battle of Ai and they went person by person, house by house, searching out for what the sin was and where the sin was at. And God got rid of that sin and those sinful things. He's doing the same here. Our God is a thorough God, cleansing his consecrated people. And then we continue to look on, and in verse 12, we see this disdain God has for, for complacency. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. That term complacent here, the Hebrew word for that, that we translate complacent, has a different connotation to it than, than we're accustomed to. Those who, in the Hebrews, those who are thickening on their dreads, dregs, they're just, God is literally calling these complacent people the bottom of the barrel. It's referring to the dregs of the wine, all the gunk that settles at the bottom of the wine cask. And that's how God is describing these, these men in Jerusalem who are complacent. It's the junk that settles in the bottom of the wine cask during the fermentation process. See, these men that he's describing here are too lazy to even be bothered to try to save themselves. They make false assumptions about God. Since God has not yet judged them for their, for their sins, he never will. That's so not true. God not judging them for their sins is, again, God showing patience. A holy judgment awaits them at any moment, and they are too lazy to see it or to do anything about it. And then saying that line, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Just so lazy and apathetic of the Judeans that, that they don't really deny God's existence. They just deny his working in the world. And they deny his power as he's working in the world. Our God is a God who is constantly active in the history of the world. 
from creation until now. It's not as if God just spoke the world into existence, set it and spent it in motion and walked away. That's not who our God is. Knowing that God is active in the world and present in the world at times, this is a core tenement of what we believe is biblical theology. It's a central truth. And to deny this central truth is, is a disgrace and a dishonor to our God. And he will take away everything from those who disgrace him and dishonor him that way. Verse 14, there's another declaration of the coming of the day of the Lord and how near it is. This is a constant theme. As we go through the, the three short chapters of Zephaniah, you're going to see the coming of the day of the Lord is a constant reminder in there. And, and, and he's always reminding us how near it is. And it's a message that the people of Israel needed to hear. And it emphasizes the importance of quickly responding to God. And quickly turning to him. The day of the Lord is coming and it is coming soon. This is what Zephaniah is preaching. He's preaching this because there's no time to waste. There's no time to waver between obedience and self-fulfillment and disobedience. And, and we hear this. The day of the Lord is coming and it's coming soon. It should remind us of what Paul teaches us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. And he says, for he says... In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not only do we see that the day of the Lord is coming, we also see the day of the Lord is stunningly intense. As we're looking here in verses 15 through a day of wrath, a day of distress, a day of ruin, a day of devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness, trumpet blasts, battle cries, um, distress. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, their flesh like dung. Neither silver nor gold shall be able to deliver them. We see all of these descriptors. Warriors cry, trouble distress, clouds of darkness, board poured out like dust, their flesh like dung. This tells us that God's judgment will be swift. It's going to be soon. It's going to be complete. And the day of the Lord comes as his wrath is poured out because of the sin of the people. See, the destruction is coming is, is of their own doing. But there's a good news. right? The good news here is that there's a way out. Sin keeps people from God. Yet, at the same time, sin brings them face to face with God's judgment. Through repentance and obedience, that can be averted. So proclamations of, of judgment in Scripture remind us that God is just and God is holy. They should compel us to remember the importance of walking faithfully before our holy and just God. We desire to know God's love, but we need to be reminded that His love does not diminish His justice. A truly loving God is also going to be just in His acts and His deeds. 
And that's, that's where the application comes for us today. That, that there are proclamations of judgment in Scripture. They should compel us as individuals. They should compel us as, in, as, as, a, as a church body. They should compel us to look at our obedience to God. Are we being completely obedient? Are we seeking Him above all else? Are we bringing in things into our worship of Him, into our proclamation of Him, into our service of Him that are from outside biblical guardrails that He has put up? Are we being completely obedient? See, these proclamations of judgment should also compel us to repentance. As followers of Christ, we have repented. And Christ has forgiven us of our sins. But we live a lifestyle of repentance. The more and more we get to know God through His Word, the more we see that we don't live a life worthy that God has called us to live yet. And we start seeing littler and littler things being sensed. We get to literally nitpick at it. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so then we continually repent. The closer we get to God, the more we see those things. And we should look for that in our lives. We should be asking God, what is it in there that we're holding on to that keeps us from a right relationship with you? What's keeping us from just going one more step toward holiness with you? And then we go to God and say, forgive me of that. Ask God to forgive you and to turn you from that. Proclamations of judgment in Scripture should compel us to turn to the gospel message. They should tell us, they tell us as we read these, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. They remind us that we deserve the judgment that God promises. But they then also offer us hope. I love this. Back in verse 7. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guests. Hmm. The sacrifice the Lord has prepared for us. Ultimately, that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus whose willing sacrifice pays the price for our sins. It is Jesus' willing sacrifice, His death on the cross, that takes the wrath you and I deserve. It is His resurrection that gives us the power to overcome the sin that keeps us from God and keeps us from being under God's judgment. Respond to the gospel. Repent and call on the name of Jesus. And I... I know the room in the house is filled with those who claim Christ. I don't know where individuals are walking right now, what things that they've got, but but all of us, all of us need to take some time to ask God, what's keeping me from walking closer and closer with you? And maybe you're listening online and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're not yet a follower of Christ. I want to talk to you about that. I want to have that time where where as we spend some time singing this last song, where we just maybe even take some time in prayer instead of singing and just respond to the gospel. We seek God and seek his repentance and seek repentance from him, for him. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the day you've given us. I thank you for this time we've had 
to be in your word today. I pray, Lord, that as we enter into this time of call to action, response, whatever we want to call it, what we do is we, we respond to the gospel. We respond to the fact that we know that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself willingly on our behalf. And he calls us to believe in him and to repent from our sins. Father, I pray for those of us who already know Jesus that we're, we seek to live a life of repentance. We're always asking you to purge us of what keeps us from having a closer and closer relationship. Father, for those who've maybe never responded to the gospel, I pray that maybe today be that day. You would reach out to them. Your spirit convict them, draw them close. Father, if, if there's someone who's feeling that, I pray that they would reach out to us as a church, drop a line in the comments, send us a message. We want to talk to them about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray.